Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Lucas Oil and TireRack.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb. Welcome, everyone, to MotorWeek podcast number 266, and we're going to get right to it. With us today, we have Brian Robinson, Jessica Ray, and Dave Scrivener. And Dave, we're going to start with you. We're going to go through four vehicles today. We'll hold off one at the end, and I'll just tease it and say it's a pickup truck you probably may not have on your radar yet, but the vehicle that we're going to start with with Dave I think everybody's got on their radar, the 2021 Ford Bronco. Take it away, Dave Scrivener. All right, we've been looking forward to driving this thing for quite a while. It's gotten hype uh, since it was introduced. The um, Ford's retro throwback to the old Bronco, which is very iconic in the off-roading world. Um, I think it's a nice vehicle. Uh, attention to detail was great. The design has um, certainly shown uh, elements of um, customization available which which jeep has a stranglehold on in that market so i think if Ford wants to compete in that uh, off-roady suv arena they have to have customization um like jeep does and i think they're behind the ball on that a little bit they're so new to the market with it they have to get their efforts up and running with uh, factory aftermarket parts and aftermarket people i think the sema show just happened so more and more people will see the car and get products out to customize it for for customers Dave, um, a lot of people don't really, you know, they may not be up to speed about Bronco. There's, you know, why don't you take us through some of the basics? Uh, there's two different, you know, body configurations and which one we actually had in. Right. We had the, uh, the two-door with the uh, four-cylinder 2.3 EcoBoost engine and the stick shift, which is a seven-speed. Um, there is also available, I think it's a 2.7-liter V6 with a few more horsepower, not many. They're like 300 the base model has 275, which to me, with the stick shift, seemed a little pokey. Maybe it's the gearing. Um, and speaking of that, the the first gear is actually a crawl gear, mm -hmm. which is for you know just clambering over rocks and and terrain that you don't want to go real fast in, but don't want to be spinning the tires either. Um, I use it leaving a Ravens game, driving through pedestrians, and just crawled along at three miles an hour. <laughs> making my way down the street and beep beeping you know um i didn't try it off road so much and have the opportunity to do that um, brian uh i was gonna say that v6 uh doesn't have much horsepower but it's got a lot more torque that's what um I mean. so that's certainly helpful off-road situations uh i love it seems to me they thought of everything i love the manual trans with that ultra low granny gear um, cool vehicle as far as it looks. I think they nailed it. It's got enough hints of the old one for everyone to be happy, but still, you know, looks new as well. I, I doubt that Wrangler buyers are going to jump ship for it, but for Ford fans and people who just want something different, not a Wrangler, uh, I think they'll be all over it. I can't wait till they put a five liter in it. That's when I'll uh, sign up. <laughs> Speaking of Wrangler, owners jessica what did you think of it you're uh you're exactly the target market for the bronco well i mean they clearly thought of of some of the things that the wrangler lacked um and to me you know as a wrangler owner it's just like two two small things that like come out in my mind the big thing being that if you take the doors off your mirrors are still um attached to your car 
which um, if you have a Wrangler, the mirrors are attached to the doors. So you, if you take the doors off, you have to, in most states, it's illegal to drive without um, mirrors on the side, at least one. So you'll have to buy an aftermarket one and attach that, take it on and off. Um, and also the fact that you can store the doors in the trunk of the Bronco. Um, that's a huge deal because I mean, I don't know how many people will do it, but just the fact that you are able to do it to say you're out and about and you want to take off the doors, you can just throw them right in the trunk. You cannot do that in a Wrangler. I was impressed with with the removable roof panels, not the, the, the big rear panel, but at least the two front panels you could take off pretty easily, which I know every time I've ever tried to take any kind of panels off the roof of a Wrangler, it's been a headache. It can be. It depends on what roof you have. And, and they've, you know, they try to make it easier every new generation and aftermarket sometimes gets it better than the factory too. Anybody want to add anything? Because I have to say, I think our viewers and, and listeners have told us it's probably one of the most anticipated vehicle of, of the year. Yeah, I would just say be sure if you want you know, there's also a Bronco Sport, which is not the same vehicle. It's not a sportier version of the Bronco. So make sure, uh, you know, dealer doesn't pull the old bait and switch on you. That's Bronco light. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's basically an escape, right? So. Uh, yes, it is an escape. And there's been a lot of confusion in our comment sections um, that I've had to, like, constantly remind people this is not, like, since the Bronco Sport obviously came out first, um, and I had to remind people, the larger Ranger-based Bronco is coming later. This is not the one because they're like, "Oh, this is so weak." There's a turbo three-cylinder in it, like in a Bronco, and I'm like, "This is not the same car at all." No. So yeah, so don't let don't let a dealer fool you, especially because it will be very, very, very difficult for you to find a Bronco um, anytime this year. Uh, good luck, maybe next year. <laughs> Yeah, they've, they, I think the, the supply has been exhausted through a combination of orders, uh, lack of uh, chips, and some of the issues that they've had with those roofs I mentioned. Yes, the hardtop specifically, um, I believe. Yeah. All right, let's move on to something that, it's interesting, it seems like this is almost, almost a, an all-wheel all drive podcast today. Uh, everybody seems to be wanting to up their off-road creds, and uh, they're doing it in a variety of ways. Uh, Subaru, who basically got there long before a lot of other folks with the, the Outback moniker, but now the Subaru Outback is particularly their, their largest wagon. They call it an SUV, I know that, but they've upped its off-road cred another notch by introducing this new wilderness trim. Uh, so, Brian uh, Robinson, why don't you take us through the 22 Subaru Outback Wilderness? Yeah, I'll kind of set the scene. Uh, Jay Ray, I know you spent a lot more time in it than me, so I'll set the scene, then you can take <laughs> over uh, from there. The Outback, yeah, as you mentioned, it's essentially an Outbackier Outback. Um, it looks more rugged and is a little more capable, too. But I think it's mainly the looks part of the equation that really draws the people in, you know, even when we're talking about uh stuff like the bronco where that are super capable but it's all it's really all about the looks it does get one inch of suspension lift and uh, it's not just a spacer in there there are new shocks and springs so you get more travel there too which will certainly help off-roading 
17 inch matte black wheels with ATs. Um, you get their upgraded X mode, all wheel drive system. So they've done some mechanical tweaking too. It starts with the 260 horsepower, 2.5 liter turbo, uh, which is uh, the best engine you can get in the Outback. They put a steeper differential in the rear and they revised the gearing in the CVT to make it more responsive in those off-road slow crawling situations. Uh, certainly helpful. As far as the looks, uh, there's a skid plate underneath the front, beefier looking bumpers, uh, a little more cladding around the wheel arches, copper colored accents, and a matte black sticker on the hood, uh, beefier roof rack as well. Uh, inside, everything we love about the Outback, 11 inch touchscreen looks great. Works way better than Subaru's original uh, infotainment offerings. Uh, stuff like all-weather floor mats and uh, durable seat covers. All that stuff is standard. They got some copper trim echoed inside there as well. So as far as the actual driving and capabilities, maybe you could take it from there, Jay Ray. Yeah, I mean, um, I've, I've, the, it was very surprisingly capable that Outback Wilderness. Um, it, Subaru was honest in their um, sort of presentation to us when, when we drove it and they sort of were like, all right, well, the, the off-road ability is, is really great. The on-road is not as good as a typical Outback. Um, and it's, I mean, I'm not going to be super picky. Yeah, it's not going to be the the like the the more luxury end of the outbacks on the driving experience on the road but honestly like they picked a really good all-terrain tire um and the lift does give it a little bit more body roll which um you know is sort of just natural with that size of a vehicle um but its capability off-road is really incredible you also have a 180 degree um front camera which i was like fording water and i was in like very rocky areas and it it was handling it very smoothly very easily um the one thing that i did not like is that um the it had a really really great camera because the the infotainment is like 11 inches like brian had mentioned but in order to change between the two X modes, you have to like go into the infotainment to change between the two. Mm. Right. Yeah. So I didn't like that so much, but what, you know, are people going to be using it for like what Subaru let us put the paces through? Maybe not so much, yeah. um, but it is a, for those who want to take it a little bit further off the beaten path. It's, a really a fantastic vehicle to do that. You know, I've got an older uh, Outback. And um, so I was kind of curious, it's not the current generation, but I was curious to see whether or not I thought it was unpleasant on the road. And I, I found it wasn't. It actually rode quite well. Um, I was expecting a lot more tire noise. It was a little, but it wasn't bad. So I didn't think it was a bad trade-off and I still managed to rack up about 26 miles per gallon, which wasn't, uh, I think, I didn't think that was terrible uh, for that size of vehicle. Dave Scribner, you have a chance, you took it out of at least one night, didn't you? I did drive it home one night. I concur that the, uh, I thought the ride was very smooth on the highway. Um, I didn't get the chance to drive it uh, on our off-road course. I was driving the Bronco that day, I think, but 
Um, a real nice package. I kind of like the matte black hood and the, the look of the package they put on it for, for the uh, Wilderness Edition. Um, I thought it was a great pick. I'm a big fan of the Outbacks, have been for a long time, and I think this is a great addition to the fleet. Yeah, it also comes now, uh, the Wilderness trim has uh, its own unique color. It's called Geyser Blue, and it's a very attractive blue color. Mm. Um, really I liked nice. it, but I didn't care for the copper accents, I have to say. But yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty could, yeah, could be either or. I mean, it yeah. it makes it stand out, obviously, but. So Jessica, you've got another wilderness uh, you want to talk about. Yeah, yeah, briefly, I'll, I'll mention because it's a lot of the same um, the packaging is uh, the, the, the Forester Wilderness, which I recently was able to get a first drive in out in uh, Bend, Oregon. And um, most, mostly everything that Brian mentioned from the, the Subaru Wilderness is the same other than um, it gets a little bit less of a lift, which is probably due to the fact that it is a more square vehicle compared to the Outback. Um, and also uh, while the Outback Wilderness has a 700 pound static um, capacity on the roof, the Forester has the Forester Wilderness has an 800 pound static capacity on the roof. So if you put a tent up there, people the Subaru people are basically saying you could put three people in the tent and two people could sleep in the car. So you, that it's a camper for like five people. Um, but I thought it was um, there were things I liked about it more than than the Outback Wilderness. I think it had its own strengths that the Outback might not have. Um, but it was, I would say that the consensus seemed to be that the, there was much, the driving experience on the road was better than the Outback Wilderness's driving experience. And like I said, I mean, we all mentioned it still was really great on the road, but there was almost like no compromise with the Forester. Um, mm. it, it felt very, very steady. Um, with the, the lift and the all-terrain tires, um, very comfortable at, at highway speeds. And, um, and then Subaru uh, put us out on these like public trails that kind of like wound around the mountain and we were in snow and mud and tons of rock. And I had so much fun in that little Forester. It was so incredible how capable that thing was uh, managing the roughest of terrain. And if you, there's two different X modes and one is, um, just like mud and one is like deep snow and mud. And if you put it in the deep snow and mud, it handles the, the, the snow and the muddy terrain, like butter. It was, it was really, really impressive. Yeah. Given how popular that vehicle is in its normal, right. That's, I think that's going to be a huge success, but you mentioned the word little, and did they say anything about when the cross track is going to get uh, this treatment? No, no, they didn't. Of course, you know, they give you the standard uh, we can't comment on future product, uh, we, even though we know, we, it's coming. we know it's coming, but uh, so I imagine, you know what, probably in the next, probably, probably sometime next year, we'll definitely see it, but that will, um, that will be really great. But also I should mention too, is that um, not only does for 2022, the 
the forester get the wilderness trim. All foresters get a little mid-cycle like refresh. Uh, they get new front fascia. Um, they get improved eyesight, which now has a two times wider field than before. And um, yeah, so all of the foresters for 2022 will be seeing a little bit of an update. And the wilderness starts at about $32,000 or $33,000, which is, I think, about $5,000 less than where the uh, outback wilderness starts. So two different budgets there. It's huge on the inside. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. There's, like I said at the beginning, we've got one other vehicle that we want to talk about. It is a pickup truck and uh, all the pickup fans uh, that piques their interest, but we're going to save that for a little bit. Let's move on to our lightning round and see if everyone's got a comment on this. And lo and behold, it's about something that is plaguing uh, the auto industry and has been for over a year and looks like it may be for a year to come. We're talking about the chip shortage. Not only is vehicle production significantly lower due to the ongoing chip shortage, but many cars are losing functionality in order to fulfill uh, orders and get them onto the dealer, dealer lots. For instance, uh, GMs, full-size SUVs, they're, using their, uh, they're losing their auto stop-start fuel-saving feature. And on a big SUV like that, that is significant. And certain BMWs no longer have uh, touchscreen capability. So the question to the three of you is, is it worth buying something now when you know you're not getting the vehicle that you would like to have or at least all the features, or does it make any difference because maybe you didn't have those features on your list as must-haves anyway? Well, what do you think? If you were in the market today, would you wait or would you go ahead? I think it just depends upon um, what I was looking to buy and what features I would be losing. For example, I think it's uh, for like the GM full-sizers, they lose uh, one mile per gallon um, across the board. And so that's, uh, you know, gas prices are going up and I think they only give you like a $50 concession. I think GM was only giving you like 50 bucks if you bought them. Um, obviously they're going to sell them anyway, uh, just because they uh, cannot keep up with the, the, the demand of what people want from them. But I don't know that I would take that concession with knowing everything. I, I don't think, especially spending that amount of money and not getting the vehicle that, you know, we were, you were supposed to have. Mm -hmm. sure. yeah. well, I should turn off the stop start anyway. So I would welcome <laughs> not having to get to a bother with the one mile per gallon isn't a huge deal for me. I think, um, it might affect the resale value of those vehicles down the road. If you get, oh, it doesn't have the so-and-so on it or the touchscreen on BMW especially might affect that down the road. So I would think twice perhaps on, on that feature, but not for the stop start. And you know, either keep, keep your car a little while longer till it, this all thing shakes out or accept the compromise because, you know, pandemic. Oh, yeah, I was heading that exact same direction. That fact that you can't get the auto stop start is actually a bonus uh, to me. And uh, as far as BMW, they hate touchscreens anyway. So I think they jumped on this opportunity. I don't think 
they are regretting that at all. Um, but overall, it's just not a time, great time to buy new or used. Uh, normally, I'm not much of a used vehicle buyer, but if you can find a dealer that's not marking things up, I think most are act, tacking like five grand on new cars right now. Uh, that's probably the way to go because used car prices are way uh, high right now. So you're probably getting a better value. If you can actually get a new car at the uh, sticker price, that's probably the better value right now. But man, it's, it's like Scrib said, if you can wait, uh, yeah, just wait. It's, it's just not a good time to buy it a new car or used car, like you said. All right, let's move on to our, um, our uh, question. And this is actually a YouTube question and it comes from John, not me, but another John. He says, I assume brake lights come on when regenerative braking is activated. And he's talking about regen braking, which is a part of uh, every EV and most uh, hybrids as well. So what say you to uh, John, do the brake lights come on when regen braking is activated or not? No, they, they do not. They do not, As at least in the EVs that I've driven, um, they do not. Yeah, I, I think we talked about this before. There are some, if it's, I equate it to like downshifting in a manual transmission, right? You're just kind of engine braking. So of course there's not gonna be brake lights come on, but. I think there are there is a vehicle or two that has the one pedal driving. And when you initiate that, there is an algorithm that if you jump off the throttle in a hurry, that will apply the brake lights. And I, 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 I want to say it was know, the Bolt EV, it, but it I'm not 100% sure about that. It is the Bolt, Brian. You're right about that. I guess it depends upon the severity of the braking you're getting from your regen system. I think just coasting along, you're getting some regen, but it's not going to apply the brakes, and it wouldn't if you coasted in your regular car. Um, yeah, I think yeah. most most hybrids, I mean, the, the regen isn't as severe as when, like even the top regen braking settings on, on any hybrid, they just don't have the severity of, of stopping the car that um, other EVs have. Um, but yeah, no, it's it, it, it's a it's a great question because it, it is something you think about when you drive an EV too. Because I remember when I was driving the C40 Recharge, it, it's the regen braking on that for the one pedal drive is pretty heavy. Like it's it really pulls back the car. And um, I was thinking like, man, and I was driving it in Belgium and I was like, I was driving this in America. Like, would somebody be paying enough attention of me slowing down without me touching the brake? You know, <laughs> yeah. I think it's a, a crucial question in the aspect, especially a lot of EV owners, and if their vehicle is capable of one pedal driving, that's what they want to do. Best thing is to do a little investigation because I don't know about you, but when I'm in almost any situation where I'm stopping or slowing down, first thing I do is look in my rearview mirror to see how fast the vehicle is closing behind me. And if they're not seeing brake lights instantaneously, if it takes a couple seconds, that could be the difference of someone hitting you and not. So yeah, it's probably the same as coasting, but maybe if it's not, or if it's a little more aggressive, you at least need to be aware of it. So John, it's not a definitive answer, but I think the answer is it's uh, still evolving and uh, it's vehicle specific. We don't think it comes on most times when it's uh, mild. 
It would be really annoying if it did come on most times though. Uh, just because like, I'm not on all the time. We're not breaking. Yeah. You're not yeah. breaking. That's just how the car naturally stops itself. Right. But definitely in certain cases, um, I can absolutely see where, where it could be an issue. Okay. I will, I've been talking about this uh, vehicle that we're going to save to the end. And we're at, we're now at that point. Uh, we've heard a lot about the uh, Ford lightning uh, EV pickup truck. But it's actually uh, not coming out until next year to be able to, to take delivery. And it's been beat to the market by the 2022 Rivian R1T, uh, the first all-electric pickup truck to be out. I had a chance to spend some time with it about two weeks ago. And uh, I had looked at and actually drove around in a circle in a Rivian prototype about three years ago. And it was really bare bones. The interior was pretty much cobbled together. So I'd read, you know, this, the production effort was here. Let's see what it's like. I was very surprised. Set the stage, everybody. It's a crew cab pickup truck. It's uh, a little bit longer than the Honda Ridgeline. It's about seven inches longer. It's got a, a, a decent size bed on it. It's not huge. It's about four and a half feet. So it, it's, it's less than, say, the Ridgeline, which has got like a six-foot bed on it, or a five-foot bed, rather. Uh, it's a little bit shorter bed than anything else you can get in, the, in its class. But the interior was terrific. Uh, plenty of touchscreens with several manual controls for um, things like climate and audio to, to back up the uh, touchscreens. Uh, what I think I liked most besides the excellent fit and finish in the vehicle I drove and the quietness, it's a standard all-wheel drive and the huge front frunk uh, with it, although not as big, nothing as big as uh, the Ford Lightning, I should say. <laughs> they have, uh, they make up for it with this um, large enclosed secure cargo area that's behind the crew cab cabin and underneath the bed. It's large enough for someone to actually crawl all the way through from one side to the other. Uh, so they're using all that space that normally would be compromised with uh, a powertrain or even the fuel tank uh, for extra storage. And I thought that was extremely clever. And um, also you can like get a factory like kitchenette, I think. That oh yes, it fits on the door that drops down. Mm -hmm. um, drive it, drove it only on road. Uh, it was quite agile. Uh, turning diameter seemed to be less than typical for a pickup truck. Um, had plenty of power, uh, not up to the level of some of the top Teslas or even the, or the Lucid or some of the stuff we're saying, but more than enough for uh, most everybody. And so it's kind of like a tweener. It's a little larger than typical midsize, but it's certainly smaller than a full-size pickup truck. Uh, but it seemed to me that they've done an excellent job for a started company. We'll see what the production models look like, but the one I drove was uh, pretty darn impressive. Yeah, did you mention no. pricing, John? Uh, I don't have it off the top of my head, but it seemed to me like the base pricing for the model was... Uh, not a whole lot more uh, than uh, what the uh, Ford Lightning, which means in the 40s. Okay. Somebody may uh, uh, top of that without you. You go ahead and take that away if you know more than I do, Jessica. That I didn't have that in the top of my head. I think. I think it's 70. I think it's 70. Yeah. All right. In that case, it's a lot more than the Lightning. <laughs> well, keep in mind, Lightning. 
the work truck. Yeah, and it's two wheel drive and it doesn't have anything on it. It's base of the base of the base. Right. This is not, this is, this is meant to be the Tesla, a Tesla truck. You know, it's meant, it's, you can do work things in it, but it's really meant for. It's a personal use truck. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Not to get all practical. I'm not so much concerned about the kitchenette. What's the actual uh, range of it? The range was uh, around 300 miles. And that's the, you know, optimum uh, EPA uh, sanctioned range. So it's like almost everything else that's come out right now, which really means if you're taking it on a highway trip around 200 or so, and uh, does anybody remember what tow rating is? Because the Ford's made a big deal about the lightning tow rating of 10,000 pounds. I don't think it's that high. No, no, it it's is a not unibody that high. truck. Yeah, it's, it's. It's not that high. I feel, mm, it's it's the same chassis they're going to use on their SUV, the um, uh, the one the R one S. Yes, basically the same vehicle except it's got an open back. But first effort, uh, and you're right about the pricing. It's uh, it's in the seventies. So. And this is also, I think they have a longer range model coming out yes. um, eventually. So this is they're getting three hundred, a little bit over three hundred miles. Um, of, of EPA range on their lower end, which I think is a very good start. I don't know that their battery tech is necessarily the most efficient battery, but then again, this is the, they're the first ones to put it in a, a vehicle and, and put it into production. So I, it's, it's a really great start. It's going to be interesting to see what their focus is because they've got that huge sale order from Amazon for delivery vehicles. And they've yes. sort of said that's going to be their primary focus because that's where they need to make some money. Uh, and um, I think they've, they've got a, a stock issue coming and all sorts of things. But and, and it is interesting that their partner is actually Ford and their number one competitor is going to be the Ford F-150 Lightning. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, we'll see about that. Well, I mean, their big partner is Ford and also uh, Amazon is a big partner with, with yeah. Rivian as well. Um, so, I mean, it would certainly be nice to see, um, some Amazon delivery trucks that are EVs. <laughs> I, I wonder when you load them up with their, I guess their range will be adequate because they probably don't go that far from their, uh, distribution points anyway, during a day. Correct. Okay. Um, before we wrap things up, uh, rant and raves, anything bothering or tickling anyone's fancy today? Everyone's thinking, thinking, thinking. Mr. Robinson, anything? Uh, no, sir. Oh, my goodness, <laughs> Jessica. Last I, one. I mean, um, I'm trying to think of, of... nobody's run you off the road from for being uh, an inconsiderate driver or anything else lately. No, no, fortunately, haven't. Um, maybe I can let me ask you. What? I got something sure. for you. Sure. You just came back from, from Belgium and you're one of the first of our staff that has been overseas. And we've talked a lot about here about how during the pandemic, American drivers seem to have gotten worse, mm. you know, faster, less courteous. What did you, what was your experience there? Did you, did you notice people being rude? Because usually European drivers are pretty considerate. They're very nice there. They're very nice there. It was like, whether I was on the highway, whether I was in the city, um, 
and you know there's so many more moving parts too because you have a lot of their like infrastructure is so connected you know the the trains are running on the same roads as that you drive on people are biking everywhere people are walking everywhere um and so people are just there was a lot more patience people were a lot more considerate about you know how you were driving and then there was also something i forget there was one intersection which i was having the toughest time going through and some after the fact when i stopped driving and i made it through the intersection we got to a stopping point somebody was like oh yeah they have a special way that they do it here it's like um right if you're on the right you go first in an intersection or something instead or, of yielding the right away yes so like I, yeah so it was in a very difficult intersection i was like okay well that makes sense like less confusion about like who stops first like it should just be whoever is sort of however yeah. it makes sense with the most sense but no i noticed people were more considerate and then of course you know um <laughs> when i i flew out of dulles so that was like an <laughs> that was like a two-hour drive home from the airport sitting in traffic and i was like oh i miss i miss here <laughs> up a little bit rude a rude re-entry exactly exactly really i think they're much more aware in general in europe of what's around them they're not as distracted and, and aloof driving brian you looked like you were gonna say something oh uh, just said yeah they're definitely a little better rule followers we're a little more uh wild cards here in the u.s but i wouldn't say i i've always heard for years that everything's so much better driving over there i haven't really seen it i will like highway driving absolutely better they're much better rule followers um i don't think the whole city experience is really that much different yeah um still take your life in your hands when you're trying to cross the street <laughs> depends on the country all right, everybody, thanks very much. And I want to thank our two-wheeler reporter, Brian Robinson, our senior executive producer, Dave Scribner, and our digital producer, Jessica Ray. Thank you all for joining us on this podcast. I'd also like to thank our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, for making us sound as great as possible, our podcast producer. In this case, Jessica's been filling in for Greg Carlos and our podcast creator, Bob Mixter. Everybody out there, I hope you enjoyed it. And if you are still in a quandary about where to watch Motor Week, go to motorweek.org and click on the upper right where it says about the show. You'll see where you can put in your zip code and get the public television station in your area and the times and the days. Also remember, if you've got a, any kind of device, you can always catch up with us at our youtube.com slash motorweek channel. Uh, more on TV, our new cable partner, Mav TV. Go to MavTV.com and get a listing for them. You can stream us just about any time as well over at PBS.org slash MotorWeek and get uh, the latest episode. So really, if you've got a screen, you can find and watch MotorWeek. And I hope you'll join us here again for more podcasts. Till next time, I'm John Davis. Thanks, everybody, for being a part of MotorWeek. You've been listening to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by Lucas Oil and TireRack.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org and watch MotorWeek 
television's longest-running automotive magazine series each week on your local PBS station.